Ministry Mentorship, Episode 47. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministry. Today we have a great podcast with Pastor Travis Miller. Uh, He's a pastor in Everett, Washington, and he's been a tremendous blessing to the Apostolic Movement, and uh, I know that's going to be a a real joy to hear this today. I just want to take a minute to let you know that next Tuesday on the 26th of August is our next Bible study with Ashley Lepo. Uh, This is our ministry mentorship live Bible study, and uh, Ashley is going to be talking about uh, renewing the fire. And so this is going to be just a tremendous time uh, refocusing and, and connecting with our with our purpose and our passion. So ministrymentorship.com backslash Bible dash study uh, or look for the Bible study link in the uh, sidebar panel. One way that you can use ministrymentorship.com is by accessing the links that we have in the show notes and and really what our purpose and desires uh, in this ministry is to really try to give young people access to great men and women of God and the one way that you can you can do that uh, is by taking advantage of the recommended resources that that we have we we put links to the books that and the resources uh, we send you over to Amazon and this is just a great opportunity uh, to have access to their reading library and to try to develop that in your own ministry. In this interview, we're going to be talking with Pastor Travis Miller. Brother Miller has a passion to evangelize the Northwest, and, and he is a soul winner. And I know that you're going to be blessed as you feel his love for young ministers uh, during this interview. And, and I hope that you'll pass this along to someone that you feel could benefit uh, from this discussion. Now, let's join the conversation now. Well, we're here today with Pastor Travis Miller, and he is the pastor of Living Faith Tabernacle in Everett, Washington, and he's been in ministry for many years, served as youth president. Uh, He's been the secretary of the North American Missions in the United Pentecostal Church. He's been an evangelist, traveled. I think I first met him when he was preaching camps uh, as a youth president, but he's an author of a book, In Case You Were Wandering. And uh, we're so honored to have him with us today. Brother Miller, thank you for joining us. Sure. My pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm the husband of one wife, Rebecca. Uh, For 28 years, we've been happily married. And yes, we've just been married 28 years. (laughs) Uh, We have two daughters uh, who are 20-somethings and one great son-in-law. And... uh, I'm currently a pastor, as you already mentioned. Uh, I feel like it's the greatest calling of my entire life. Sure enjoy that opportunity. Um, when we have some free time, I suppose we spend time either cycling. I've been a cyclist for a dozen, 15 years or so. And now uh, now that we live in the great Northwest, we thoroughly enjoy hiking. Uh, it's a great opportunity. Beautiful, beautiful places out here. And I look forward to being a kayaker someday when I get enough room to store a kayak. So uh, those are some things a little bit, I guess, in background of who I am. That's awesome. Now, I think I first met you when I was, uh, oh, goodness, I was probably 16, I think. I think you came to Minnesota camp and and uh, right. preached for us. And Oh, my, back in the days. That's right. That's right. Uh, those are the days when you first learned to impressions of me, I think. And then, <laughs> I think you gave me a necktie that week. I complimented you on wearing a, a pretty sharp necktie, and you were working at some store. I think you told me where they gave them to you, but I, I sure hope there wasn't some theft going on as a delinquent <laughs> young man. Uh, yeah, and I, I continued to wear that necktie. So Really? Wow. I've you a long time. Yeah, I wore it, man. I didn't just throw it away. I mean, I got it from a teenager. I had to have it dry clean to get all the hamburger chunks <laughs> off it. <laughs> but it was a sharp tie. So. <laughs> nice. Wore that, remembered that moment. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you yeah. def- definitely had an impact, and and uh, well, I appreciate it, man. It's been awesome. Yeah. So so tell us uh, tell us a little bit of your story about 
you know, kind of your background. I know that you had gone to uh, ABI and just kind of give us a little bit uh-huh. of your, your, you know, growing up experience and then, and then we'll transition sure. into ministry. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, um, thankfully I was raised, uh, at a Pentecostal church. My mom is a single mom, did an awesome job, uh, with my sister and I being consistent and faithful, uh, making sure we were in the house of God. And, uh, so that was a just a, a great growing up time. Uh, I had a great extended family. And then um, I went off to university to study engineering. And at that time, uh, there's a couple of years there where I really wasn't focused on God. In fact, I was doing some things I shouldn't be doing. I had a different direction in my life. It was really messed up for a couple of years. Uh, then the Lord got a hold of me mercifully, gracefully. And uh, allowed me to return back and started getting my ducks in a row. Felt God talk to me about ministry. So I headed off to ABI and um, spent time there, graduated from there. And uh, after that, returned back to Ohio, uh, where my wife was from in Toledo, and began ministry there. Um, and our children were born there. And we've just been doing uh, what the Lord would offer for us to do all along the way. Uh, I've had, you know, various doors open and pray about them and walk through them. So uh, some mystery development here and there and uh, certainly learning and growing as a, as a human being along the way. I wish I could say I, I've done everything perfectly, um, but it's not been the case. Like every everybody who would be candid, uh, we've made mistakes and did things we wish we'd have done different, but uh, by and large, a lot of good things going on along the way, and that's been a real blessing. So, so what was that first like sermon, or or mm. did you have a, a, a first, you know, like a Sunday school class, or what was your like your first yeah. step into uh, into ministry? You know what, I'm uh, I'm probably a little unusual in that regard. Uh, I feel like there was uh, as time as I was, you know, I was raised, my pastor always told me you need to be praying every day and reading your Bible every day. But as a teenager and a young person, it just never stuck. You know, I don't, for whatever reason, I didn't practice it. I didn't do that. And as I got matured and, and was probably 19 or 20, I really started really buckling down and doing that and reading and praying every day and really making a personal devotional time. I'm ashamed to say it was that late in life, but it was. And so I started nailing that down and felt like the Lord drawing me into service and the opportunity to grow with Him. And as I did that more and more, there were some times around altars where I really felt like, you know what, I need to walk away from this engineering path and pursue a ministry path. And it was really weird, Jacob, because um, I was literally at Bible school uh, in what they simply called a speech class at that time. And um, they're giving us assignments to speak. And it was sitting in that class when I realized, oh, Lord, this could involve preaching. Um, I, I don't know what was the matter with me or what I was thinking, because I was very embarrassed to be in front of people, uh, did not do well, was very uncomfortable, in fact, I played a saxophone as a teenager and a couple of times tried to join with a group playing in a youth service in front of the crowd. And I was so nervous, my hands sweat profusely. I could barely <laughs> hold on to that horn. I was so nervous. So when I sat in that class and it, it kind of dawned on me that speaking into a microphone in front of people would be involved. I, I freaked out for a little while. Um, and just, you know, I, I didn't even think about that concept. So when you talk about first sermons, oh Lord, I, I'm sure that I stumbled and staggered and barely made my way. Um, just very, very disorganized and confused. So that element of ministry um, has been an ongoing process, no question. But I really felt just called to serve the Lord, and um, things have opened up as I be, I was willing to do that. So who would you consider some of the people that impacted you the most, and, and why would you say that they had a, an impact? You know, in that question, I, I was actually asked a similar question probably 15 years ago, a friend of mine. There were some leadership gurus asking, you know, who are the three people in your life that have impacted you the most? Well, it's been a few years, um, 
And so when I consider this question again, I I can't hardly change the answer. I, I think it's the same. And for me, those people have been, uh, of course, my mother raising my sister and I. Uh, you know, you look at that family connection and, and the strength of a single mom. And my sister and I both and our families are serving God, our oneness Pentecostals. You know, it's just... Uh, it's hard for two parents to get that job done, let alone a single mom. And so uh, my honor and respect and regard for her is, is huge. Um, but in terms of ministry, it's been my pastors. Uh, without question, the pastors in my life have just impacted me. Uh, growing up, uh, Reverend Harold Strange in Massillon, Ohio, pastor of Lighthouse Tabernacle, um, I've been able to talk to him again recently over the last six months or so, and, um, you know, just his impact. I remember when I was searching for direction, stopping by his house, I rode my bicycle to his house, it wasn't far away, chatting with him, uh, he's sitting in the backyard and him just taking time mm. to counsel me. I, I remember uh, he's very gifted in faith and in laying on of hands and praying over the sick uh, times. Uh, I experienced incredible healings by the prayers directed of that man, the prayers of the church, and uh, he was just a great man of faith and put into me some foundational things. I remember my first year of Bible school, listening to things, things being taught, and thinking, well, I've been hearing this my whole life. You know, there's no wow. new material here. I know this stuff. So uh, what a tremendous heritage. Uh, from there, after Bible school, at Bible school, uh, there was a guy, he was a lot younger then, but his name's Dave Norris. Hmm. And uh, he was one of the pivotal teachers uh, at Bible school, Bible college at that time in my life, some things that he did. Um, they were doing at that time a huge drama at the end of the year. Every class would put on this major drama telling some biblical truth. And uh, one year he directed our drama, and I got to have a pretty significant part in the things that he did challenged me and provoked me. Um, certainly stretched me, uh, definitely in terms of being in front of people. And uh, that's another relationship I continue to enjoy. And then after uh, that, we went to Toledo, Ohio, and I spent more than 10 years in the leadership of Mark Jordan, pastor of First Apostolic Church there. And uh, I, those years of ministry development are unmatched. I, I feel so... Um, just humbled for the chance to have been in that environment. Mark Jordan is a brilliant man uh, with a tremendous passion for ministry, a great vision for things. He allowed growth. He facilitated growth um, as a leader who was not fearful of young leaders, but allowed leaders to grow. I can't imagine anyone else has ever learned in a better environment than I have from Brother Mark Jordan. And again, uh, a man that I'm able to turn to when I need to, and still hold him in high esteem. I left Toledo. I went to St. Louis, Missouri, and spent 15 years there. And uh, under that time, our pastor was Stephen Wilford. And again, just a man, a tremendous man of God, a tremendous spirit, tremendous insight in the way. And so you, you mentioned that you still you know talk to Brother Jordan, and, and I'm assuming you still stay in touch with some of these guys. How does that, how does that work, keeping that relationship going, even even after you've uh, moved on to a different area of life? Well, sure. Um, uh, no, I don't talk to all of them regularly. I don't want to give that impression. Um, but certainly uh, there is a cordial relationship. And yes, I do pick their brains if I know something in particular is fitting um, for those individual men. Um, in terms of Brother Jordan, he has a blog that is filled with, oh my Lord, thousands of pages of posts with incredible wisdom, messages, sermon thoughts. And I was trying to glean a few ideas a while back for a baby dedication. I just went to his blog and checked out a few simple things that he had posted. Um, I mentioned talking to Brother Strange. Uh, Brother Norris I see periodically um, and able to chat with him. I talked to him about a resource he put out recently. Um, Brother Williford, I you know still look at him as my pastor. Um, you know I, I'm checking in with him periodically. It's on my to-do list, uh, and if there are particular items again that I have in mind, I got one right now that I need to talk him over with, and it's on my list to get in touch with him in the next week or so. And 
ask him what he thinks to get counsel and get insight. I think there's ongoing value to have a pastoral role in your life, regardless of where you're at. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this, you know, this podcast is geared towards young ministers that, that feel a call uh, for ministry. And, and that's one thing that I feel like is, you know, is very important is having those people in your life that uh, can speak into your life, that can give you that direction, uh, but that can also, I guess, in a sense, keep you grounded. And, and I, I don't know if you'd mentioned that word or not. Maybe I thought I'd heard you say that something similar that there were people that kind of kept you, um, kept you saved, maybe not saved. I mean, obviously you know, the Lord saves you, but they kind of kept you thinking right, you know, living right, kind of yeah. in, in an age where, you know, maybe some contemporaries would be kind of moving to the left or moving to the right or, or whatever. Talk a little bit about that yeah. and how, how people have helped you stay focused. Well, um, Certainly, you know, the role of a pastor, particularly as you grow in ministry, you know, over the years, if I, as I've matured and, and been under the leadership of these various men, and I, I mean matured not just physically getting older, but spiritually, then the role is a little bit different. Um, but two things remain. I'm in search of wisdom from these men. Uh, they have handled things, been down paths, traveled areas, have understanding that I just don't have. They're farther along the path. And secondly, I, you always have to have somebody that can tell you, no, dummy, don't do that. Um, <laughs> it, somebody you've got to be submitted to. You, <laughs> you go to them and say, here's what's taking place. Here's how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking, and and I'm 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 thinking I'm going to do A, B, or C. Or here's the path I'm thinking of going. What do you think about that? You you have to be submitted to somebody to say, you know what, I don't know. Um, and you know, perhaps in some areas where I have served and things that I have done, uh, been allowed to serve, some would say, well, you know, he probably just does things on his own. No, I I, I can clearly see. Uh, times when I have called it again, even later in life, called Brother Wilford and said, look, here's what I'm facing. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? Am I missing something? Is there a perspective that I'm not getting? Is there questions that I'm not asking? What, what do you think? Help me here. Um, so that willingness to be accountable and to get perception, I really believe that part of uh, of gaining knowledge and wisdom is to realize you don't have all knowledge and all wisdom, and there's advantage uh, to getting that from people that you trust, people that you respect, and people who will indeed tell you, no, you're missing it if you need to be told that. Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. and what would you say to, uh, and I'm just throwing this out there, what would you say to a young person that I would say, okay, Brother Miller, you know, you, I've been asking those questions. I've been asking, what should I do? Where should I go? How should I, you know, but I'm not getting any answers or, or the response that yeah. maybe I feel like the I don't have any direction. You <laughs> there well, you go. You know what? I, I'm going to respect the pastor in that regard because mm -hmm. a pastor isn't just to give a person answers. You know, there's the age old proverb, which is better to give a man a fish or to teach him how to fish. And, and if a young man or a young woman is pursuing ministry, uh, it's not just a pursuit of answers. It's a pursuit of developing answers and discovering answers. Hmm. And if a pastor is not saying, here's what you do, and there's where you go, and here's your answer, perhaps that, past, that pastor is sensing in that young person or that young adult or anybody in pursuit of ministry that there's not enough development of personal searching for an answer. Um personal growing for an answer. It's one of the things that Brother Jordan did for me. I remember coming to him with a circumstance, and and basically, and I don't remember, I want quoting him verbatim, but he, he wouldn't give me an answer. Hmm. And he let me know, I'm not giving you an answer. You come back to me with some of the things you think are answers, maybe your answer. And if I would offer him what I thought I would do, or two options, or three options, he always dealt with me in a positive manner in that discussion. But if I came to him, just wanted him to solve my problems, that wasn't happening. And so consequently, that's what happens in my life. Uh, anybody who's had interaction with Dave Norris finds that 
the guy doesn't give answers. He just asks questions. Mm -hmm. If you go to him for questions, he just peppers you with questions. So there's this uh, element of discovery, and I feel like that's a very strong thing. Um, everyone's got to come to a place where you find out from God, where you learn from God, where you uh, grow in pursuing his will. And so for, you know, somebody who's saying, I'm not getting answers, well, you know, I don't know that situation, but I'm thinking there are reasons right. that pastors don't give answers. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. That's great. Um, no, that that's great. And I think something that we find in ministry, sometimes the no's uh, are a little more painful. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and, you know, we feel like, and because, you know, most of the time when a, a young adult or anybody who's called into ministry feels that calling, feels that pull, it's a very intense spiritual moment. Typically, right, right. some kind of altar service, it's culminated in a very intense moment, and there is a sense of urgency. And that's a very good thing. Um, the, the challenge comes in how do I balance that spiritual urgency with my natural preparedness? You know, you two were in Bible school, um, as I was, and you know there are some people who didn't make it through the entire course of study because it was so urgent that they get on the field. Yeah. It was so urgent that they win the loss. Um, you know, the same, you, you have to have development. There has to be ongoing development. Our world is changing so rapidly, um, and so many professional fields have annual uh, retooling and redevelopment and continuing growth and continuing development classes. Preachers had better be doing the same thing. Um, and the other thing I think that is part of that is that somebody's called into ministry, particularly when you're a young adult, um, and I'm privileged to have somebody approach me recently and feel a call to ministry. Here's the thing. Sometimes you mentioned to me, tell me about your first preaching moment. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some pe people, and there are some, I guess we can get this impression, that if I'm going to be a minister, that means preaching, and I need to have some pulpit time. And certainly that comes along. Obviously, my story has already, already been recorded, and so I'm not going to be a person who says, think about preaching right away. Um, I'm going to be thinking about development, and I'm going to think about other things you can do without preaching or without a position. You know, you get this urgency of the call, and okay, make me uh, the outreach director. Then I need to be made the music leader. Then I need to be having the position of youth leader, youth student pastor. Okay, my contention is this. If you have a call of God in your life and a desire to do something, you don't need a title or a position to do it. Right. You don't need any kind of position to work the altar every service and pray and encourage people. You don't need any kind of position to be on the front row during Bible study or Christian training and have your, your pencil and paper out or entering data into your phone or your iPad, taking notes and developing. You don't have to have a position to be teaching Bible studies and win the loss. Um, in my opinion, if you want to be an evangelist, you need to win people. Um, and you'd be teaching Bible studies and know what it's like to be on the front lines working with people who need God, understanding the things they don't understand. The only way I can preach to a crowd full of sinners is to know what a sinner doesn't know um, and to hear it from them and to get that perspective from them. So I just think there are so many things to do in the kingdom of God that you don't necessarily need permission or a position. Just get after it, you know, reach people. <laughs> Reach people. Right, that's uh, great. Well, um, if folks get involved, and again, I think there's fulfillment and reward. Ministry is about selflessness and ministering to others. And so to do so quietly and in the background, um, you know, if you're really being used and making a difference in other people's lives, there's satisfaction and fulfillment. And I think the Lord recognizes that stuff and again would open more doors. Looking over your years of ministry, what are some of the things that, that you would do different? Uh, well, uh, a couple of things. I'm a real fan of organized education and formal education. And um, I've been able to go to school periodically throughout my life. Right now I'm not in any formal education structure. 
Uh, so I've been able to be in classrooms and, and rack up some degrees and certificates. And uh, there's certainly a part of me that wishes I'd have gone after that wholeheartedly earlier in ministry rather than kind of doing it here and there along the way. Um, but I, I'm a person, not everybody is cut for the classroom, but I really like that. I like being in the classroom where I'm forced to maybe take a course that is part of the overall degree that I wouldn't normally study, but in the end I learn some things that round out my uh, understanding. Um, meeting due dates and guidelines, I'm just a real fan of formal education. Um, looking back, I probably wish I'd done a little more a little quicker. Um, uh, the other thing for me is, and, and this perhaps would raise eyebrows with some, but I think there have been times in my life when I allowed the electoral body um, to determine God's will for my life. In other words, uh, after, you know, I've, I've spent more than 25 years elected in some position in the United Pentecostal mm-hmm. Church International. Um, after a while, people know your name. Yeah. And I, I don't have to go around shaking hands and telling people I want to do some things, but if my name come up on, on occasion, I think there are times, and this is being very pragmatic, that you can just, folks will elect you if you've done a good job and they believe in you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that because you can do a job doesn't mean you should do a job. Mm. And because you have certain abilities doesn't mean those abilities should direct God's will for your life. And uh, looking back, I think there's probably been a time or more uh, when I allowed the electorate to decide God's will rather than me and mentors pursuing God's will. So uh, it's a lesson to learn. I don't think it was a devastating thing that totally derailed ministry or my life or took me into sin. None of that. Right. Um, right. But again, looking back, you can see some things. And I think in that regard, I'd, I'd, I'd have done a couple things differently. And, you know, I know um, particularly those who, who have a desire to serve an organization and to serve in an elected role. And um, I remember particular one young man, I was able to have some influence in his life. It seemed like he was very intent on uh, being in an elected position, that if he was elected by his brethren to fulfill a role, that that would just, you know, be a validation of who he is. Uh, I've been blessed serve the Lord in that regard, and it's a tremendous opportunity, and I'm very grateful for it. I know people have made connections, have been in churches and services that wouldn't have happened except for that. However, it's not the be-all, end-all of ministry, and, you know, I think there, there can be a balance, and sometimes people need to hear there's a balance. Um, that's enough mm-hmm. of that, unless you have further questions. <laughs> well... To me, it brings up uh, the whole aspect of of that ministry. How would I say it? Like, I think of it in terms of like even family, or or, or that you know when I come home, you know I'm not Jacob Toppy, the assistant pastor, the mm-hmm. youth director of our section. You know, I'm I'm just Jacob Tapia, and, yes. and that ministry. Anyway, any yeah. comments on that? Yeah. Well, um, I will capitalize on your, you know, when you return home. Um, yeah. You know, you're not just Jacob. When you return home, you are husband and father. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, those are the highest callings of ministry. Mm. Uh, that at the end of the day and the end of your years, and, and this requires long-term thinking and awareness, that it's going to be uh, your wife and your children and your in-laws and all of those connections with family that are going to be most important and most precious to you. I strongly believe that just because ministry is a career doesn't justify our career overriding our families. Mm, that's um, good. And, you know, oftentimes, too often, let me say that, uh, we get into, well, I'm doing kingdom business and years and years ago, there was an attitude that, well, I'll take care of the kingdom and God will take care of my family. Mm-hmm. I don't see that in biblical times. I don't see the Bible saying to people um, and the Word of God saying, listen, ignore your family and uh, I'll just take care of it. If that's the case, then why did God create family? 
Why did God make the structure of husbands and wives and children? Why is it so... Uh, I can really... You see this as struck a nerve. <laughs> yeah. um, for the long haul um, and the strength of ministry, those who serve the best um, need the strong family. Mm. Uh, you need that relationship with spouse. You need that relationship with children. Uh, those are the things that are going to matter over the long haul, and every moment invested there. You know, I don't, I'll never run into an older person who looks back on their life and says, I wish I'd have spent less time with my family. Mm. You're not going to find that person. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I don't believe the Lord's going to say, I said this at one point to a young minister, are you willing to allow your ministry to grow slower so that your family can grow stronger? Wow. Um, and that, that, because the ministry is God's kingdom, we are his servants, and we need to be, you know, pray the Lord of the harvest, that needs to happen, needs to take place. But the whole world being saved is not on my shoulders, that's on God's shoulders. Right. Um, I'm just a person involved in that work, and it's a humbling and incredible opportunity and an overwhelming opportunity. But at the end of the day, my immediate family is who matters the most. Wow. Hmm. Well, this is getting pretty intense, Brother Miller. I didn't know uh, <laughs> we were going to get into all this, but... For what it will. Is, this fine. is great. Okay. This is great. Yeah. Good. So so let's talk a little bit more about about uh, your passion and, and uh, maybe what keeps you going and in ministry and then maybe how you cultivate that. Well... Um, Right now, it's very easy for me. Um, I made a transition in ministry about a year and a half ago, um, two years ago now. Um, and I did that at a point in life when most folks are settling in to do the same thing the rest of their life. So I, I'm skewing a little more as a millennial rather than as a boomer. I'm on the line. Hmm. But we made a jump, um, and I'm totally fascinated and thrilled with the role of being a pastor. Um, there are a million things to do and to pay attention to, and there are things that I am yet learning, even though I've been in ministry for very, very long. So uh, to me, that, that entire ability or thought process of taking a group of people from point A to point B, um, the ongoing element of building disciples, um, the challenge of reaching a lost world, um, you know, in my county, there are 750,000 people. Three out of four claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. Wow. Um, I live in an area here in the great northwest. I don't, I've looked over a series of Bible studies that we can use in the home, and many of them deal with counteracting doctrines mm -hmm. that we don't preach and teach in Pentecostalism. I don't have to fool with that on here because folks don't believe anything. Um, I, I don't have to erase wrong beliefs. We just lay down, here's what the Bible says. Hmm. Um, I am overwhelmingly motivated um, by people that just need God. My city is supposed to grow by 75% in the next 25 years. I can't imagine how in the world we're going to keep up with that. Um, that motivation, that uh, rich in people, developing people, um, you know, my own walk with God and, and prayer and learning the Lord and studying His Word, I, I enjoy that. I thoroughly enjoy that. But then also the additional study and development in prayer to preach and to teach. I, I, I enjoy preaching, and mm -hmm. on occasion, I guess some have thought I was okay at it. But teaching is the bottom line. Um, changing people's thinking. When folks do not know how to think, how to reason, how to process. Um, and teaching changes thinking. It changes your decision-making process. It allows you to grab biblical values. The Scripture says we're not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, the battle for our minds. I see, uh, I live in a state where uh, recreational marijuana is legal. I see that as the enemy's battle for minds. Hmm. 
um, any any chemicals that change our thought process or weaken weaken our conscious ability to think and process gives the enemy an upper hand um, in confusion and keeping people from pursuing right things. Um, so I'm really jazzed about the, the teaching element and the, the present a series and. Um, our church motto is loving our Savior, which deals with the relationship, learning his ways, which talks about our understanding and, and thinking development, and then living faith daily, which is the the absolute day-to-day practice of things. And I really believe that's a progression. When our hearts and attitudes are right, it should drive us to a changed understanding, which should lead to changed day-to-day living. Um, and again, the way I've given you it, and then an answer to a two-word question. <laughs> yeah. I guess that shows what my passion is right now yeah. and what we are focused on and believing in. Um, because the world is lost. Uh, I don't live in a place where there's churches every three or four miles. Um, you know, in, in our, it's just a wide-open territory. And it's a tremendous, tremendous motivating burden. So you probably have had to adjust, I mean, or would the, would you say that you've had to adjust any of your maybe paradigms about church or the way that you connect with people? Because it sounds like, you know, maybe like in the Midwest or the Bible Belt where, where you say, you know, are you a Christian? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, a Christian. They know exactly what that means. And you're kind of having to, you know, convert people in a different sense. Uh, but you're talking about people that, that don't have any knowledge whatsoever. Do, do you find that your approach is different when you're connecting with people? Well, um, certainly the word Christian, in, in America, people are aware of the term. Um, and I guess it's their understanding of what that means. Um, okay. So we certainly, you know, I don't, I don't want any people think know absolutely anything, mm-hmm. but... Right. Um, you know, there are people who will claim a certain religious background, but that just means they show up on Christmas and Easter. Um, here we have people that won't even claim that. Uh, now, it doesn't mean they have no understanding. They they have formed some perceptions, you okay. know, by the media. By, okay, sure. um, so, so it's a matter of pointing people to Scripture and says, well, what does the Bible say? Which is what everybody does, but I don't necessarily have to tear down other, um, you know, errant biblical doctrines, what we tear down is uh, errant human doctrines Hmm. and human philosophies. Um, So those are the things that we would face. In terms of changing my approach, I think uh, the Lord has prepared us for this place over the years. Um, While I've spent time absolutely making our livelihood as an evangelist, also during the time that I served our organization you know, I, I, I guess I was an itinerant preacher. I preached uh, two or three weekends a month all over the country um, and in outside the country. So I've been in places and got stirred up. Years ago, I preached uh, in Maryland for a Christian Life Center, a tremendous church, and is very focused on winning people in Gaithersburg. And uh, while there, I just was impacted, and the youth pastor there, at that time, remains to this day one of my greatest friends, and he was just impacted on the reaching of the lost and how to make converts. And since that impacting time, um, I focused when I ministered out on what's it take to get an unbeliever, a a non-Christian, a uh, I like to say a pre-Christian, hmm. uh, what takes them to get them to pray? What are the steps to get them to repent? What am I going to do to get them to worship? What do I have to do to get them to understand the infilling of the Holy Ghost? I I go from the blank slate approach. And since that time, uh, I've made a habit, wherever I preach, wherever I am, I'll go into the audience, and afterwards I'll ask people if I made any sense, if what they heard made any sense. Um, did they understand everything? Did they have any questions? I'll ask them if I the sound was good. Did I scream too much? Was there distortion? Mm -hmm. Um, And you know what? People who are fresh to Pentecostalism, they don't pull any punches. Mm -hmm. Uh, They'll tell you exactly what's going on. Um, I remember approaching one couple in Canada, asked them that question, 
uh, yeah, yeah, that was good. I said, well, do you have any questions? And the question they asked was the very first point of my message, you know, 30 minutes earlier. They didn't get it. Mm. They had missed everything. They were cordial and they were polite, but they didn't get anything. And I had watched them pay attention. They were actively responding to, I guess, with eye gestures and nodding mm. their heads. You know, they were paying attention. They weren't drifting off. It was a, a 20-something uh, professional couple. They're, they're paying attention, but they didn't respond to prayer. They didn't respond to the altar. They weren't moving. So I missed something. I didn't communicate something. And they helped me that day. Uh, in the end, uh, that was back in the day of paper notes. I gave them a copy of my notes, and they grasped onto that. I encouraged them to get involved with the church's small groups. Um, but the element of finding out where people are before you can take them where they need to be. Uh, too often, if you just end up preaching to Pentecostals and Pentecostal churches, you forget where pre-Christians are. You, you forget where they're coming from. You don't have an understanding of the knowledge they have or most likely don't have. And so that awareness to me, um, paying attention to that is very valuable. That's awesome. That's great. Now, how would you say, and this is kind of a loaded question, how do you prepare sermons? So, you know, some people could say, well, you know, over 30 years of preaching or however long, you know, it may, it may, you know, just kind of happen organically, but, but do you, do you have a process or something that maybe a couple points that could help us uh, in developing sermons and teaching and, and in that area? Yeah. Um, well, again, I think it is reasonable to say that that's developed over time. Um, the one thing that has happened for me now is to be in a local congregation, I'm developing more things more often. Uh, whereas I traveled as an itinerant preacher, you know, uh, you have one sermon, one thought, you can wear that out in various places and make little changes and hone it. I probably have sermons that I've preached 25 and 30 times. That's not probably. I know I do. <laughs> yeah. um, I had some that, you know, I didn't preach two times because it just didn't go far enough the first time to <laughs> rehearse it again. Yeah. Um, but in ongoing development, um, you know, I have made a practice of reading, 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 reading. Uh, my ongoing Bible reading, and, and not I read for my own personal development, and then anything that I catch that might be something to preach or teach on, I, I make note of that. I file that away. So there's an ongoing development of that. Here in the local assembly, um, I'm not just praying about the next service, but I'm praying in the big picture. So that, I mean, I just finished up a series that um, took us three months in terms of teaching. Uh, this whole next month, I told the church where we're going and what we're doing in terms of what I'll be teaching in the midweek session. Uh, in terms of preaching, then um, sometimes it's a little bit of a thought, and then I, I pray about it, I begin to study it, and I begin to look at related verses, and it just develops. At this point in time, it's not as much of a struggle as it was when I first got going. Uh so I, I think that there are times when I feel like the Lord speaks to me and I get points one, two, and three, introduction and stories and closing, all in, in, it just comes to me. Other times I have to wrestle with it. I find that I typically don't develop a sermon in one sitting. Uh, I'll spend a few hours on it and then have to set it aside and come back to it, uh, which means I need to, I have to prepare accordingly so that I'm not just working on Sunday's message Saturday night, because there will be no setting it aside. i got to be ready on Sunday. Mm, yeah. uh, so I'll start on it, you know, uh, this week in terms of preaching on Sunday. Um, you know, in my to-do lists, Monday and Tuesday, I was already just brought up a little reminder I need to be thinking a little more. Sometimes I'll preach on the same topic for a whole month, but days in advance I'm kind of gnawing on it, and then determine a focus and do some study and collect some notes. Usually it's a brainstorming kind of thing where I'll, mm -hmm. if any verse of scripture or any story or anything I remember as a story is vaguely possible, I'll, I'll put that in the file and add it. 
Um, and then as I've gathered material, I'll pray over that and then focus on a particular direction. And then I think the two hardest things in sermon preparation is editing and the closing. Hmm. Um, yeah. you got to be willing, no matter how good a verse sounds or how good a story sounds, if it really doesn't go with the overall theme of what you're preaching, take that out and preach it another time. Um, it, it, it may be a really cool story. But if it doesn't fit the theme, you got to be willing to take it out and use it another time. Um, in terms of editing, the most time in terms of phrasing, you got to be sure you're saying exactly what you mean to say. And if you're going to repeat a phrase, always better to use synonyms to keep the crowd's attention rather than just saying the same phrase 37 times. Um, and then I think the closing, spending time on that closing. I'm most nervous if I don't really know how I'm going to call people to prayer and to the altar. Um, sometimes the Lord jumps in and does things different than what I prepared, but I find that altar services and the response of the audience goes so much better if I really spent some focused time thinking about what am I going to say, what am I going to do, what am I calling the people to change and to respond, how do I want them to do that? What's the Lord really trying to accomplish here? What are the things that I can best do to get to facilitate what God wants to do in this altar service? Um, and I'll just end by saying this. Typically for me, and you know everybody's different, but to prepare a sermon that's 30 minutes, and that's what I aim for is 25 or 30 minutes of preaching, takes me 8 to 10 hours to get that done um, properly. Uh, studying, Bible studies, Christian training is what we call it. Uh, every one of those sessions can take me 12 to 15 hours. And again, maybe I'm just a slow processor, um, but that's the kind of time it takes me to get that together. Wow. Well, that's that's great. And, and one question that came up for me is, is uh, what do you use to capture your your notes or your your thoughts do you use it on like an ipad app do you have uh paper notes you know you talked about files do you use yeah. computer files what do you use in that sense yeah um over the years you know as technology's changed it's it's moved and changed um i do a lot of reading on kindle and i have one of those old e-ink kindles so it actually everything i highlight i can pull that off as data so that's kind of nice. And then I just organize that data file. Um, I do have an iPad, and I just write my own little notes in color notes. I do find, because I have to be more prolific in preaching and teaching, I'm not developing these great big huge files. Usually thing doesn't stay on the burner a long time before I'm using it. So a uh, color note on my iPad keeps pretty good. I have one file for preaching, one file for teaching. It does me pretty good. Um, in terms of writing down notes and what I use, and then I just delete them off of there. Hmm. That's great. Well, thank you for that. And now, what would you say uh, are some of the traits of a successful young minister? Well, um, a couple of things. I, I think, of course, eagerness, um, desire is very important. I think. Uh, being teachable uh, is going to be incredibly important. Are you willing to learn? And that's quite a challenge because most men and women that are in 19, 20, 20-somethings feel like we have, and I, I was the same way at that age. I had all the answers and knew everything. Hmm. Um, and, you know, Mark Twain made a joke of that years and years ago. And there's something about that, independence and strength and striking out, and I think that's part of human nature. You know, that's good because then kids move out of their parents' houses, and we want that to happen. Um, and yet it needs to be tempered uh, on the other side with a willingness to learn. And you don't know everything about Scripture, and the men and women of God who have been doing this a long time have seen some things, and you can learn from them. So the ability to be teachable um, is very good. And then I do think that a, a servant heart, that that element and realization that as a minister you serve, uh, which means I'm going to do things that are inconvenient. It means I'm going to be involved in things that I don't want to do. Uh, you know, 
I'm in ministry. Um, I mowed a lot of lawns. I installed fences. Uh, I used a chainsaw and took down trees and built a playground. Um, yeah, in the end, I took some bids on big things like, you know, parking lot paving and, and sprinkler system installations. But all of that was part of ministry involvement. Uh, you know, yeah. I drove vans of kids to youth camp in the middle of the night coming back. I loaded up trailers. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are just hard work and service, and it's sometimes romanticized. You know, you're just going to wear some nice clothes and stand in the pulpit. People are going to think you're funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of work. Uh, phone calls late at night, things that are inconvenient. you got to be willing to serve. You have to be willing to serve. Uh, you are helping people, and that can be very demanding, and it will be inconvenient for the minister. That's good. Is there any, uh, you know, and I feel like we've covered so many things, and, and this is this has been great. Is there any other additional advice that you would give to a young person? I think in the illusion that I, I talked about my own life, uh, the sooner you... Uh, hone and develop your own devotional life. Um, your consistent time of prayer and studying the Word of God, uh, reading the Word of God, and fasting. I think a regular regimen of fasting um, is an awesome thing to submit your life to the things of God. Uh, so fasting one day a week, as soon as a young person could get their lives wrapped around some of those pursuits of the Lord, understanding his word, time alone in prayer, developing your prayer life, and a regimen of fasting. I think you practice those things, it will open up further doors and discovery in what God is leading you to and guiding you to. What are some resources that you would recommend for a young minister? And and, and as we go into this question, I want to just point out that you, you have uh, authored a series called In Case You Were Wandering, and this is made uh, available by the United Pentecostal Church Publishing House, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. But uh, and and you, I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. But along with that, and and maybe any other uh, resources that you feel like would be a, a help to young people. Well, uh, thanks for mentioning uh, the book and the series. The the goal of in case you were wondering. Um, is to help with life direction. I mean, it's targeted for late teens and 20-somethings. You know, we ask questions, big questions about uh, where is God leading? How can I follow Him? Um, We try to point some direction. We do not try to give answers. Uh, Follow my own policy that I mentioned earlier in this interview. Um, The questions that should be asked and prayed about, we talk about um, relationships and how do you find that person and what are some things you look for. So it's a um, it's it's help help for life direction and I believe it does so in a relatable manner. Um, I wrote it basically as a summation of ongoing conversations with our children as they walk through that phase of life and finding direction. Um, I would strongly recommend uh, anybody looking for ministry development to read. Uh, Gordon McDonald's book, Ordering Your Private World. Ordering Your Private World's been out forever, um, but it is awesome and still strong and still relevant. Very good book. Um, I've actually just took our 20-somethings through uh, a small group series by Andy Stanley that's also a book called The Best Question Ever. Oh, man, that's a lot of wisdom in that book right there, presented in a very very uh, graspable fashion. I think I just made up a word, graspable. That's good. That's very good. Uh, so, uh, but that uh, book can really help, uh, I guess, that age in life and pursuit of ministry. Um, those things strike me just right off the top of my head. Sure. In terms of preaching, I think you'd asked her mention some things about preaching. Um, a good book that I enjoy on preaching is just called that, Preaching, and it's by Calvin Miller. Uh, absolutely no relation, um, but he has an interesting insight on some things regarding preaching. 
Uh, those are some things off the top of my head. I think if I could recommend to 20-somethings in ministry or anybody reaching 20-somethings, I would recommend uh, the book called Essential Church by Rainer. I think it's Tom and Sam, uh, father-son. They're the same authors of Simple Church, uh, but they did Essential Church, talking about five reasons that 20-somethings remain involved in the church or return to church. It's based on research, and I think it's some pretty strong stuff. That's great. Great. Thank you for those. And we'll, we'll make sure to put those put links to those in the show notes. And, okay. uh, and one of the things that, that I think is great as well is your church has an archive of uh, sermons. And I, I was on there this morning looking at some of them, and, and uh, yeah. you have a little podcast. And, and what's the, the, the website for your church and, and any other uh, ways that young people could get connected with your ministry? Well, uh, that's the best way via the website at this point in time, livingfaithtabernacle.org. Um, right now, I have, I have, you know, my age is reflected, and I'm not an active social media guy. Uh, but we do post, and I keep about three months' worth of archive materials for teaching and preaching and any outlines that are on there. Uh, so if folks are interested in that, um, that would be the best element at this point in time. Um, I'm, I'm not a Twitter fan. I have a problem with developing personal followers. So I'm trying to make disciples of Christ, and so I'm not sure how that's going to work out. That was an ornery shot that I should not have taken. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what. Oh, goodness. Well, Brother Miller, it's been an honor to to have you with us today. And I wonder, in closing, if you could just uh, say a prayer over that young person that would be listening to this right now, that uh, just whatever you feel to, to pray and, and to speak into their life at this time. Yeah, I would be happy to do that. Lord, uh, you know exactly who it is that's paying attention and is listening and has grasped and felt a tug. Uh, even as we had this session, it's been recorded. Lord, I mentioned earlier, and it strikes my heart, that we were to pray to send forth laborers into the field. Think about the city you've asked us to serve here, and millions of people in need of salvation. And it'll not happen without workers in the field. You've chosen to work through men and women. It's humbling and incredible opportunity. I pray, God, that you would draw men and women into your service. Pray, Lord, that there would be something that stirs in a deep in their hearts. They recognize that things are beyond this earth. I'm thankful for the talents and the abilities, Lord, that you've invested and allowed to be developed in this generation. But, Lord, please, speak deeply into the hearts of them. Help them, Lord, to resonate and understand. There is a call in the kingdom that is far greater far greater than any amount of recognition in this secular society, any amount of confirmation and validation that we received in a classroom or we received in a job or a corner office or a possession. And there is a wonder and an amazing opportunity, Lord, to reach people, to share your gospel, to see men and women come to repentance, tears coming down their faces, See those, Lord, that have been marred and challenged and confused by a wicked world, turning their lives around and realizing that you love them. Lord, there is nothing like seeing somebody come to a realization of who you are, repenting of their sins, being baptized in your name, filled with your incredible gift, and then not just experiencing that, but becoming a disciple and walking forward and being developed. I pray, God, that that revelation... That understanding, Lord, would be sown into the hearts and lives of those that are listening. And not just a seed sown, but a seed that would blossom and come forth and bring forth fruit for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a ministry mentorship podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com. If you'd like to connect with our guests or find links to any recommended resources, you can find that information in the show notes of this podcast. Uh, just go to ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast and look for episode 47. 
Also, you can help us gain more visibility by liking our Facebook page and leaving us a comment or by rating our podcast on iTunes. If you're interested in donating to this ministry, you can do so by going to ministrymentorship.com backslash donate. Your gift of any amount will help us uh, to continue our mission of connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of ministry development. Thanks for listening, and God bless.